opportunity to have you part of our church today. Happy birthday, Miss Wayne. Today, open your Bibles to Mark. We're going to be in Mark chapter 3. If you'd like to follow along in the YouVersion app on your phone, feel free to do so. I hope and pray that you have your own paper Bible in front of you. That's what I prefer. I prefer my paper Bible. There's just something about touching the paper. The paper isn't uh, endowed with anything special, except for printed on these pieces of paper is the very words of God and the Word of God. And so I, I just like hearing the pages of the Bible turn. One of my favorite sounds in the church. Second favorite has to be the sound of children. So we hope that we'll hear a lot more of that coming up real soon here in this place as people are getting their, their um, shots. <laughs> Vaccines. Thank you, Miss Lisa. She, she was reading my mind that I couldn't think of the word at that moment. And I needed help. Thank you for helping me preach today, Miss Lisa. Appreciate that. Um, but, uh, you know, as people are getting their vaccines, hopefully they'll start coming back. We're going to start seeing children, and we're going to see God do a great work in 2021. Amen? It's, it, it has started kind of rough, hasn't it? We were hoping on New Year's Eve that whenever it counted down to zero, we'd push the reset button. I don't know about you, but on, on New Year's Eve, Chad, when it got down to zero, I didn't say Happy New Year first. I said, Jumanji, get us out of this crazy game, Jumanji. <laughs> but I was hoping 2021 would start off better. And if you have been receiving emails from the church, if you have not, let us know. But you can tell there's been a lot of stuff going on within the church of deaths and sicknesses and, and crazy stuff. Uh, but we also know, just by watching the news, just how crazy it is in this world. Our world is filled with division. Our country is divided. And we hope to see peace and see things come back together. But how do we get there? What do we do? Well, I, I want to submit to you that the only way to find peace in America is for the Prince of Peace to become the Lord of every single person in America. Anybody going to help me preach this morning? I mean, because that right there is the only way to find peace in America is when the Prince of Peace becomes the Lord of the homes in this country. But the likelihood of that happening rests upon the shoulders of you and I. As His children, we must discover and find how do we respond in an environment of division and opposition and just plain ugliness sometimes even maybe within your own home or within your own workplace, how do we respond? Well, we respond like Jesus. We want to be more like Jesus, right? Amen? Yeah, we want to be more like Jesus. So if we're going to be more like Jesus, we need to discover what Jesus did so we can discover what we need to do. So the question is going to be, how did Jesus respond to disunity, to opposition, to, to disharmony and unrest in His day? Well, we're going to discover today that Jesus' ministry wasn't filled with butterflies and rainbows. When He began His ministry and He began healing people, there were a lot of people that just, they would flock to Him, they'd get around Jesus, they would talk about Jesus and how wonderful He was. But not everyone held the same view. Some were upset that Jesus was doing what He was doing. And so with that, there began to build this disunity, this disharmony, this disruption that was taking place in the culture at that time. 
And it was coming from some leaders within the culture, some, some of the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And, and we're going to, to kind of take a step back for just a moment and find that we're going to look in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. And we're going to look at the first uh, occasion where we really see this coming one-on-one with Jesus. And then we're going to get into chapter 3 just a little bit. But can I tell you something that's remarkable? You might want to write this down. This is good. In Mark chapter 3, you will find that Jesus is declared a lunatic. He is called a liar. And in chapter 2, he's considered, chapter 2 and 3, a lawbreaker. A lunatic, a liar, and a lawbreaker is what, is what is going on in the culture when we get to this part in the book of Mark. But he's also declared in chapter 3 of Mark... Lord and Master, and miracle worker. This same Jesus who does good and does great was declared a lunatic and a liar and a lawbreaker. And in that type of environment is where we're going to insert ourselves today in Mark chapter 2. Let's begin reading in verse 23. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now how many of you know when the Sabbath is? It's not Sunday, it's Saturday. It's the seventh day. Sunday is the first day of the week. This was set up in the book of Genesis. The first day of the week is Sunday. The seventh day, the Sabbath, is Saturday. So this was like yesterday. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. Now here's an interesting fact, just by knowing this, that they are picking the heads of grain, gives us an idea of when this is taking place. This is taking place sometime around April, May, somewhere in that area, because that's when the heads of grain was ready for them to pick then. So they're walking through these fields, it's around April or May, and they're picking these heads of grain, and the Pharisees... The religious leaders, the ones who, who everybody was supposed to look up to, the Pharisees were saying to him, to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus responds, and he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need, and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except for the priest. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Well, this morning I want us to talk about how Jesus responds in these situations. How Jesus responds to this idea that somebody's coming with a differing view, with a different idea, and they're going to be trying to cause division. How did Jesus respond? Well, I want us to to really understand that Jesus responds with a scriptural foundation first and foremost. He did not do it out of opinion. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. It wasn't opinion. It wasn't logical. It was based on scripture that he brought his defense to the question that they were asked. They asked him a question. He responds to the question. Now, Jesus just didn't try to cause trouble. He was just answering a question. And he began by going where? To scripture. Let me say something. And I'm going to be very clear and try try to be clear. and, And this is going to be blunt. Unless your view is founded in Scripture, hold it loosely. Did you hear me, church? Unless your view is founded in Scripture, hold on to it loosely. 
Because you may have an opinion, and that's all it is. But if you have a view that's founded in Scripture, hold on to it tightly and do not let go. Do you hear me? Because today there are people who want to claim and proclaim their opinions and their rights and their thoughts. And it's not based in Scripture, but it's their own ideas. And they're holding on to it too tight. The only thing we need to hold on to that tight must be found within the Word of God. So if you have an opinion, that's great. If you have a view, that's great. Share it, talk about it. But don't hold on to it so dogmatically when it's not based in Scripture. I hope y'all don't mind if I bring the Word today and just absolutely just tell you what's on my heart and what's in the Scriptures. I believe with all my heart that Jesus gives us this example that you go to the Scriptures and if your view is scripturally founded, you stand firm on it. If it's not scripturally founded, hold on to it loosely. See, divisions come because we are humans and we have a sinful heart. We have also divisions come because we have differing opinions. Some people like red, other people like blue. Some people like it hot, some people like it cold. Some people like the springtime, others prefer the fall. Some, some people, some of you, cannot wait till it's summer again. And others are like, I am loving the winter. God designed us to be different. But He did not desire for us to be divided over our differences. To unite us, we must be standing on the solid foundation of Scripture on holding on to that tightly and everything else very loosely in our hand. I'm not saying you let go of your view or your opinion. What I'm saying is don't hold on to it as tight as you do those things in Scriptures. Jesus understood Scripture does not contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Did you hear me? I'm going to say it again. I told it to the youth this morning as Brian and I are teaching the youth. Listen to this. Our youth pastor's desire was to teach our youth how to study God's Word and get something out of it themselves and not just listen to other people. That's an awesome youth pastor. So this morning, he and I began to teach them. And one of the things I told them was, this just doesn't contain the words of God. This is the word of God. Every word, every, from the beginning, when it says in the beginning, until the very end, in the amen. It is the word of God. The A's, the N's, the that's, the thou's, the whatever is the word of God. And that is our foundation to stand upon. One man said a lot of people stall with their face because they don't operate by the principles of the Word. They simply stall in their growth spiritually because they don't operate on the functions that's found here. We find with Jesus today, when opposition came, He began with scriptural reference as to why they were doing what they were doing. Now, I want to point out something really interesting that you may not see here in the scriptures. But you know, they, they asked a question and they said, Jesus, why are they doing this? It's not lawful. Remember they, they said that? Well, let me tell you what happened in this time. God gave them laws, but man messed them up. Ooh, I see some hands going up and down. God gave the laws, but man messed them up. And what they did, the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees, is, is, is they sat down and they said, 
all of the people can't really understand what God has said. So let's make it very clear and let's write down exactly what they can and cannot do. That was not inspired by God. The laws were, but that interpretation was not inspired by God. But yet they held it over the people as if it was. And so these Pharisees are holding that if you take this grain and rub it between your hand and you eat it on a Sabbath, you're breaking the law. There, is, there isn't anything in the Old Testament that would preclude them from doing that. But yet the Pharisees, in their own pious and pride and power, wanted to make a claim to try to disrupt and bring disharmony among Jesus and His disciples. Now... There is only one who's behind such things. It is Satan himself. It is the prince of this world. It is the power of darkness that is over this world. It is he who tries to divide, to steal, to kill, and destroy, and really get at Jesus and his word and the scriptures. Because here's the thing. If it's not found in scripture, if it's not, that's not the foundation, it is going to crumble and fall. And the devil knows if we can pull that out then I've got them right where they need to be. So I want us to come together. I want us to understand first and foremost as we look and see what Jesus did. It was founded on Scripture and that's what He held on to. Let's go on with the story, verse 27. Mark makes a point to just insert Jesus said to them as kind of a, you've heard the first part where, where Jesus says, okay, this happened with David, this is found in scriptures, this is what went on. But then Mark puts this, Jesus said to them. He did not have to do that, but he did that, I think, to bring our attention to what Jesus is about to say, because this is huge. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Okay, let's break that down. The law of the Sabbath to rest, the law that God gave in the Old Testament, was not made to enslave man and to, to grab hold of them, but it was made for their benefit to help them. The law of the Sabbath was to give us rest because you know what happens? Miss Wayne probably understands this. We can work ourselves to death. I see some heads nodding. Your spouse will work themselves to death if you don't nudge them and say, Honey, you need to rest. Right, Jane? <laughs> I hear that from her a lot. She says, Honey, you need to rest. And you know what comes out of my mouth? But I got... You need to rest. When are you going to slow down? God knows that there are some of us that are so driven, Buddy Anderson, that we don't know how to take a little time and rest. So God created this idea of the Sabbath so that we will rest. He didn't create the Sabbath to say, I got them on another one. Boy, they're going to mess it up. So that's what Jesus is saying here. These things have been given for the benefit of man, not to take man and push them down and destroy them. So that's what Jesus is bringing about. He's bringing about the real intention of what God gave, not what man has done with what God gave. Because i got news for you. Man will mess up what God gives. When God brings a blessing into your life, look out. You just might mess it up if you ain't careful. 
I used the word ain't, didn't I? That's just as southern as you get right there. So let's look here. He also says in verse 28, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Let me tell you what Jesus just said. I am God. You hear the argument, Jesus never claims to be God. Here is scriptural evidence in Mark for the second time that Jesus is declaring himself as God. Only God and God alone is Lord of the Sabbath. And the Jews knew that. So when Jesus proclaimed in this context to say, the Son of Man, referring to himself, is Lord of the Sabbath, he was declaring, I am God. And I define these terms. Do you think they liked it? No. Not at all. Here's the thing. For people who were so religious and in, in Scripture so much, they missed the very presence of God right in front of them. So don't think that you can come to church and you, everything will be okay because there's more to this than just reading the Bible and doing good. You have to have that relationship to understand who He is so that He'll impact your life. But here is Jesus faced with this opposition and division and He responds holding on to Scripture tightly and lets that be the answer. But as we get into chapter 3, as we get into chapter 3, we find these words. He entered again into a synagogue. Now here's an interesting thing between chapter 2 and chapter 3. Somewhere in this area, it is believed by scholars, this is roughly about 10 months before Jesus dies at Calvary. Now, you may say, Mark only wrote about, really, the last year of his life. He wrote about the beginning of his ministry, and then he jumps to the last year of his life, last few months of his life. Yes, why? Why would they do that? Understand, the Gospels are not a bibliography as, or biography as we know it today. It's not a biography as we know it, where it is everything about a person's life. When we read the biography of Abraham Lincoln, it talks about when he was a child, what he did growing up, what happened when he was a young adult. These are not biographies of Jesus' life. Back then, when they wrote about a person, they wanted to focus on their last year, the last few years, the last moments when they were alive. Because to them, that said more about a man than anything else. So Mark is writing in this context where this is the idea. And see, that's how God inspires Mark during this time to write about the end of Jesus' life. That's why we don't have anything about when he was a teenager or in his 20s or the death of, of his stepdad, Joseph. He's writing about Jesus. And so he says, He entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. Now that, I, that word there for withered in the original language means it's more of a, uh, an accident. It's more of a, a damaged hand. It's, it's not all drawn up with like all dried up or something. It is, it's a word that means it was damaged at some point. In other words, he had an accident. At some point, he had to learn to do everything with one hand because his hand got so messed up. And so this man was there in the synagogue. Jesus is in the synagogue. Now verse 2, they were watching him. Who were the they? 
What we're going to discover, it's very clear here that in verse 6, it reveals that they are the Pharisees, which we just encountered as they were walking through the field. Mark is putting these two stories together on purpose. He wants us to understand there's Jesus, there's Pharisees, and the disciples, and there is a story here, a purpose, a meaning behind having these two things locked together. So the Pharisees are in the synagogue. They are there on the Sabbath. Verse 2, they were watching him to see if he would heal him, meaning the man with the messed up hand, on the Sabbath. Which, what day is the Sabbath? Saturday. I like to emphasize that because when I grew up as a kid, no one explained that to me. And I was an adult before somebody explained to me the Sabbath was Saturday. And I always thought the Sabbath was Sunday. And it just messed up everything I grew up with. I was like, what? They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might, what's the word? Accuse him. That is a word of division. That is a a word of destruction. That is a word to come after someone to destroy them, right? Have you ever had somebody, maybe you've had a boss, that it just seemed like they were doing everything they could to catch you in something to mess you up. I see some heads nodding. And you just feel like you're being scrutinized in every little thing. And if you're not careful, they're, they're, they're gunning for you. That's what's going on here. The Pharisees are gunning for Jesus. And they're in the synagogue. Jesus comes in and they go, you know what? Let's watch. Let's peer. Let's pay close attention. Let's see what he does. That man's got a messed up hand. Let's see if he heals him. It's the Sabbath. See... There was an explanation that they wrote down about the law that you find in the Old Testament. And they wrote down that you should not heal on the Sabbath unless a person's life was in danger. There shouldn't be any healing unless a person's life is in danger. Anybody here find that just ridiculous? I find that just ridiculous. So, if you've got the coronavirus, unless you're dying... You shouldn't be healed today because it's the Sabbath, which was actually yesterday. So, to me, this is where man got involved and messed up everything. So, here, here they are. They're going, man's hand's just messed up. What's Jesus going to do? Ha. I'm betting he's going to do something and we'll get to accuse him. So, here we are in verse 3. He said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. In the synagogue, there would be benches all around the edge. So this was more of come to the middle. Come right in the center so everyone can see you. And he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save life or to kill it? Now, these people are thinking these things. And I want us to understand that Jesus responds with God's standard and not in fear of people's opinions. Come on. Jesus responds with God's standard. It didn't matter what power the Pharisees had. It didn't matter what their opinion was or what they had written down or their forefathers had written down to interpret Scripture. He responded with God's standard. Tony Evans said, The standards we live by should not be based on our preferences, but on the absolute standard in the Scriptures. Nothing else. 
That's why I said earlier, hold your opinions loosely in your hand, but hold on to the standards and Scriptures tightly and don't let go. If you're unsure what that standard is, get in Bible study. That's why there is Bible studies. That's why you can get into the Word and you, you can get into places where you can understand the standards. The position and the pressure of these Pharisees did not sway Jesus from responding as God's standard had deemed necessary. He saw a man whose hand was messed up, and so then he asked the man to come forward. And then Jesus asks a simple question. Now remember, when they were walking through the field, who asked the question? The Pharisees. Who answered? Jesus. Now the Pharisees ask a question. Who answers? Jesus. They didn't even actually verbalize it, but Jesus answers it this way. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm? To kill or to save life on the Sabbath? Do good or do harm? To kill or to save a life? Which is it on the Sabbath? Now when they walked through the field, a question was asked by the Pharisees and Jesus answered the question. I want you to look in verse 4 and see what happens when the Pharisees are asked a question by Jesus. Look at what they did. But they kept silent. And they said nothing. Because they understood if they answer the question, they're going to be caught in a mess. So in essence, Jesus was able to silence his accusers by simply asking a question. Can I say something bold again? You're going to love me, right? Sometimes we need to keep our mouth shut about our opinions and just simply ask a question. Sometimes we need to ask more questions than make more statements. It's not easy to do that, but when we want to respond and tell people why they're wrong, why don't you stop, take a step back and go, hmm, what question could I ask here? What question could I ask to make them think? That's what Jesus was doing. A good Jewish man, a good Jewish teacher, never answered a question with a statement. He normally answered a question with a question to make the one asking the question to think, to consider, and to, to really dive in. The problem today is there's division because we're not talking with one another. We're not asking questions. We're just making statements about how wrong and how dumb and how stupid people are when they are valued in the eyes of God. So much so, Jesus left heaven to come to earth to die on a cross for them. They have value, but yet we want to accuse them for being bad and evil. So we must step back. And can I say it very bluntly? Keep our mouths shut about our opinion and simply ask a question. Sometimes that will carry more weight and do more good for God's kingdom than if you tell them what you think. Because their soul is at stake. Now this is what Jesus does here. He, he asks a question. He doesn't just come out and, and tell them, it's okay to heal on the Sabbath. Come on guys, really? He asks a question. The Pharisees was seeking to divide and destroy. And Jesus was seeking to bring healing and hope. Which one are you going to be? If we are to be like Jesus, 
We're not going to work to continue to divide and destroy. We're going to work to bring hope and peace to the world. And sometimes it means even though you're right, you just simply ask a question. This is a tough message. But I want us to take a real good look at Jesus and not our rights in America. We have the right of freedom of speech. And God's given us great freedom. Freedom through grace. But we must think beyond ourselves and think about the souls of those around us. Jesus responds with God's standard. He responds with Scripture. And here's what I really want to bring to you today. To be more like Jesus, we find it in verse 5. After looking around at them, and here, this is only recorded here in the book of Mark. After looking around at them with anger, anybody here ever been mad? Anybody here ever got upset and angry because of, the, because of how somebody was responding or thinking or what they were doing? Anybody here ever just been angry before? Come on, somebody confess with me. I have. I've, I've heard people say things and do stuff that just makes me mad. Look at this. Jesus was angry. They cared more about the law than they did the healing and the hope of this man. They kept silent and after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. See, Jesus was not only angry, but he was grieved. You can do both. You can be angry and you can grieve at the same time. This hardness of heart, let's break it down into modern vernacular. They were hard-headed. They didn't care about any other opinions but their own. They only believed what they believed and did not care what anybody else said or thought. They were firm and hard-headed and wouldn't listen. You know anybody like that? Got some names coming to mind? They had a hard heart. Jesus was angry. He was grieved. So Jesus said, enough of this. He started turning over chairs. He started breaking windows. He just stormed right in and just tore up everything. No. Look at what Jesus did. Now remember, he's what? He's angry and he's grieved. But look at his response. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He didn't speak to the Pharisees. He didn't address them. He didn't turn over anything. He didn't break any windows. He just simply looked at the man who was in need and said, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. What day was this on? The Sabbath. Jesus restored that man's hand without even touching him, without getting any dirt. So there was no accusation that could be made that Jesus did any work to heal the man's hand. The man just pulled his hand out and it was made complete again and working his hand was healed see 
We must make sure our anger and our sorrow, our grief is used for good and not destruction. Listen to me. Our anger, our sorrow, our grief cannot lead to destruction. We need to take that and use it for good. We need to find some way to take what we're upset about and turn it into something that's good. To take what we're sad about and we're grieving and turn it into something that's good. Maybe you're grieving over the loss of something. Find something that you can pour yourself into that's going to bring about good. The people of this day were experiencing a man with authority. Let me tell you, Jesus did not back down from what truth truly was. I am not going to stand up here and tell you today, let's be tolerant of everyone's views. I hate that word. Can I just tell you something? I hate the word tolerant. Because the word carries with it this idea of accepting everything that you think is right as right. And it may be wrong. And as A.W. Tozer said, we can't afford to let down our Christian standards just to hold the interest of people who want to go to hell and still belong to a church. We cannot take the standards of God and throw them in the trash just to make someone feel good. There is a standard we must live on and hold on to. Regardless... But we can love people and have a different view. We can respond to people who think differently and have a different view and hold on to the standard of Scripture. I know a story that's troubling some, some parents that there is someone in their family who wants to change their gender all of a sudden. And has declared, I want you to no longer call me a her, but a him. I don't want you to call me by a girl's name, but a boy's name. That has troubled this family. What do they do? It's the reality of 2021. I can tell you this. One of the things that's been very clear that they've made clear, they don't think it's right. Based on the Bible. Based on Scripture, this person understands their views and where they come from. But they are working to try to find a way to be able to to continue to speak into this person's life without being hateful about it. That's difficult. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you have to dig deep into your convictions and begin to wonder, what do I hold on tightly and what do I let go? If someone understands that you believe that in the beginning God created man and woman, He didn't create a shim, He didn't create an it, He didn't create someone who's going to figure out later what they are, ladies and gentlemen. He created a man, He created a woman, that was it. Black and white, two genders. And that is the gender they always are. I'm just preaching something that's going to be very controversial. I hope I never run for office because they'll definitely play that on TV, won't they? There's a man and there's a woman and whatever you're born with, that's what you got. Where did that come from? (laughs) Wow. But here's the thing. Even though we believe that with conviction, if we beat people over the head with a baseball bat about it, They'll never listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has not called us to beat people with a bat, but to bring to them the good news of Jesus and the hope that He brings. Don't try to change them to go back to the gender they were born with. Try to bring Jesus to them, and He will bring them back to what they were originally designed to be. 
So Jesus, for anyone to think that this word is not relevant today is to miss the fact that Jesus lived in a very divided, a very disunified, difficult culture. He lived in it. And we do as well. So to, to grab hold of how we're to respond to all this stuff, we can look and see how Jesus responded. Verse 6. I got some bad news to tell you. Verse 6. After Jesus did this, the Pharisees went out and immediately, there's that word again, immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how to destroy him. The word there for destroy isn't simply to tear down, but to kill. It was the same word used if you needed to put down your dog or your animal. It's the same word. We have to go destroy. That's the word. Even, even if you respond like Jesus, the outcome may not be positive. So do not measure what you do on how people will respond. Because even if you do it right, just like Jesus, there's no guarantee that they're going to respond in a positive way. But we must hold on to the truths of Scripture tightly while responding like Jesus and understand how people respond will not dictate to what I hold on to. And it should not dictate how you treat people. Treat them like Jesus would treat them. Jesus commanded in Matthew chapter 5 and Luke 6 to love your enemies. Love your enemies. To do good to those who use you. And to do good and not evil. To be more like Jesus is not easy. It takes a real man and a real woman to be more like Jesus. It takes any fool to be like everyone else. But it takes a real man and a real woman to respond in a culture like this, like Jesus. So what do I do? Number one, I must please God in all I do. I must please Him in all I do. This is what Jesus is doing here. Jesus did not let others, others view, others' power, others' prestige, others' position, other people's opinion deter Him from loving people the way God had called Him to love people. When He's faced with this position, His disciples are getting green, this man has a withered hand, He did not back off and say, Okay, I don't want to offend you. So... Instead of saying amen, I'm going to say a woman as well. <laughs> Jesus did not say that. Jesus said, here is scriptural and this is the foundation. This is God's standard and I'm going to stand on it. And I'm going to love people. I'm going to care about people. I'm going to bring them the hope. I'm going to die for them and I'm going to die for you. We have to respond and do everything that pleases God by His standards and loving people God's way. Ladies and gentlemen, somebody needs to write this down. 
Stop being a people pleaser and be a God pleaser. Let me say it again on, on this side. Maybe this side didn't get it as good as that, that side. Stop being a people pleaser and be a God pleaser. Now for you at home, maybe, maybe you, you, you weren't on that side, you weren't on that side, but you're looking at me right now. Let me tell it to you. Stop being a people pleaser and be a God pleaser. That's what this is about. It's hard, isn't it? It's desperately hard. But we must go there. Second thing is this. I must value people through God's eyes rather than their opinion in my eyes. I must value people through God's eyes and not their opinion in my eyes and not even my opinion of them. I must value people based on how God sees them. Jesus made it about the value of people and not their opinion, not their power, not their prestige, not their position. He made it about these people are valued and they need hope. Listen, God knows their names. He knows the number of the hairs on their head. You know that person that you cannot stand? God has seen them in tears. And He has loved them all the way to the cross and to the resurrection. Jesus did not accept every view as truth and as it being right. And yet Jesus changed the world. He fought for the standard that God set forth. He fought for truth of what God's intention was in loving people and having the law that would point people to a need for a Savior to understand you cannot do this without Him. So today, where are you? How will you respond? The seven-day challenge this week is going to just simply be this. Pray for God's kingdom to prevail. The last two weeks, I have given you something to pray about in that particular area. Pray for God's kingdom to prevail in blank. Today, I just simply, I'm going to leave it in your hands. Pray for God's kingdom to prevail. And God will lead you to pray for something. Bow your head and close your eyes with me. Father, today we come to you knowing that without you, Lord, we are a mess. When man is left to their own devices, we mess everything up. Lord, and we fall, fall victim. We are so easily swayed by the ideas of this world. So Lord, today, I just want to ask that you will guide us into your scriptural truth and your standard by which we need to live. That we do not respond to the popular opinion of how to treat other people, but we will treat them as you have, you have called us to. Lord, today... 
peace will only be found when the Prince of Peace is the Lord of the hearts of all those living in the homes in this area and in this nation and in this world. So Lord, we pray today that you will work in a mighty way. In Jesus' name, this morning.